Hi guys, my name's Jason and this is episode 27 of the UK Money Podcast. Episode 27. 27 episodes and you're still here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So today I'm going to be talking about a couple of different things as always. The It's like kind of like a wedding, something old, something new, not something borrowed. Maybe I could have pinched something from uh, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast or something like that. But we're talking about a, a, an age-old problem something that comes up all the time. I've had a conversation with a potential new client about this yesterday um, and I think it's it's poignant, it's timely, there's some um, some change in, in the air, there's some change potentially on the horizon that would impact this issue. So something, that's the first thing I'm going to be talking about is um, whether you should pay down your mortgage or whether you should invest. And there are some changes happening around interest rates and inflation things. So I think that is an issue worth revisiting because you might be in these circumstances, whether you've got some savings that you're getting nothing on in the bank or whether you've got a little bit of surplus cash flow each month. So I'm going to talk through that issue. And the second one, th- second thing I want to have a talk about is NFTs. And you may have come across this um, in, in the news. You may have come across this on your social feed. It may look all a bit scammy and weird, but NFTs or non-fungible tokens uh, is kind of is related to cryptocurrency and the blockchain and I think it's going to become over the next five to ten years a much more mainstream part of the financial system. So I just want to basically explain explain what they are, explain how they work, explain that it's not just all about stupid little JPEGs that are selling for millions and millions of pounds. Now, as always, if you have questions that you would like me to answer on the podcast, please do feel free to drop me a line. The best way to do that is at just via email, keeping it nice and simple, jason at jasonmountford.com. I have had a a few questions come through this week, but they are things that I've I've sort of covered fairly recently, so I didn't want to over over, uh, or redo content that you regular listeners will have heard in in recent episodes. But please always do keep sending them through. Um, I I really do appreciate hearing back from me. And even if I can't, even even if it's not something for the podcast, I always drop you a little response and and give you my thoughts on on whatever the question is or, or point you to an episode that would potentially be be useful for you. So please do keep them coming in. I really do like hearing from you guys. In terms of today's episode, we're going to start with this question of whether you should pay down your mortgage or whether you should invest your money. And, you know, there's there's a couple of different steps to kind of working out what is going to be the best option for you. And as I go through this this question, I am going to kind of simplify things a little bit. You know, there are there is a little bit more that goes into it around compounding and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, broadly speaking, you can look at this issue in quite a straightforward way. Now, I was talking to a, a potential new client about this yesterday, which is kind of what's prompted me to, to revisit it. Um, but it's also a, a relevant issue at the moment in the news because if you've been listening to my past episodes, inflation is potentially a an increasing problem at the moment. Inflation is the highest it's been in the UK for quite some time. It's ro- risen quite sharply off the back of a, of a low base last year. Um and that's not just the UK, the US is experiencing very high inflation at the moment. And generally what will happen, we are in a weird situation, but generally what will happen with inflation is once we once we start to see inflation creep up, you will often see um, the, the central banks around the world increase interest rates to try and kind of dampen the amount or try and to kind of balance out the, the, the way in which prices are, are rising. So, the Governor of the Bank of England has um, sort of been making some noises about potentially increasing interest rates towards the end of this year, 
2021. Um, so that is something we could say and then something that we've not seen for quite a long time. And, you know, generally what will happen is when interest rates increase, that will obviously, you know, the, when the base rate increases, the banks will generally put up their mortgage rates. So this may be a question that you've looked at in the past um, and you've kind of made, made a call on it. But whenever interest rates change, that's a really good time to be having another look at your, your financial circumstances, having another look at your investments, having a look at your loan and working out what whether you should stick on the plan that you're already doing or whether you should be looking at doing something different. Now, when you're looking at this issue, it effectively comes down to a pretty simple mathematical equation. Like I say, it is a little bit more complicated in in practice, uh, in in reality, but in practice, whenever you're looking, well, I like to I like to stick to the phrase or or, or use the phrase when I'm explaining this that a pound saved is a pound earned, right? So if you are getting a um, a pay rise at work of a thousand quid per annum, you've you're a thousand pounds better off. If, on the other hand, you were spending a thousand pounds on what's a good example? Let's say, I don't know, let's say you're you're paying off a car. I don't know, it costs you more than that. But let's just say you're paying off a car or a personal loan, and that was costing you a thousand pounds per annum, and you you paid that off. You're still a thousand pounds better off. You've not had a pay rise in that in the second second option there, but you're no longer having to spend that thousand pounds per annum. I mean, not per month. You're no longer having to spend that thousand pounds. So, you've saved a thousand pounds, which means you're a thousand pounds better off, which is exactly the same as if you've earned an extra thousand pounds from your job or something. So, whenever we're looking at our financial circumstances, that is a a good way to look at it. Now, for, for when it comes to the mortgage. What that means is that effectively any interest that you're able to save on your loans is like earning that amount from an investment. So if you have a mortgage and you're paying 2% in interest, every extra pound that you pay off that mortgage, you're, you don't have to pay that 2% interest on that pound each year. So effectively, the you know you could look at the 2% as a as a an amount saved, which is which is basically exactly the same as if you had left the mortgage as it is, but earned two percent in return on another investment. So, when you're comparing whether to pay off um, some debt or a mortgage, or whether to invest, it's pretty much simply a case of looking at what is the interest rate on my mortgage, how much would I save by paying off paying a chunk of that off, and how much could I earn from an investment if I invested instead. Now, obviously, it's not quite that simple because the amount that you're paying off your mortgage is a guaranteed win. So every every pound, every hundred quid, every thousand quid that you pay off your mortgage, you are guaranteed to save that level of interest rate. That level of interest, you know what the interest rate is, so you know what your inverted commas rate of return is. You that's that's a win regardless. Every single year, that's a win, and you know it's a win. You know that by doing that you are going to be financially better off than if you just spent that surplus money. With an investment, on the other hand, as you will know, as a regular listener of this podcast, it's not a linear thing that you can guarantee every year. So, you know, even if you invest in a fairly conservative way, you know, there will be years where you will definitely outperform a 2% interest rate. There will also be years where you will definitely underperform that. So like with any kind of financial choice that you're looking at, it's, it's very important to take into account your time frame. Um, because you know, if you're only going to be prepared to invest for a couple of years, then it could your investment could actually go down for both of those years. So it comes down to looking at the differential between the interest rate you're paying 
and the interest rate or the return you think you could probably get from an investment and then weighing up that risk versus return relationship. So if your interest rate on your mortgage is one and a half percent and you could get you think pretty you're pretty comfortable you could get six or seven percent in an investment portfolio, that's a pretty big differential. You know, you're probably going to be prepared to take a reasonably reasonably um, high level of risk in order to um, actually make that call because well, not reasonably high level of risk, but that's going to be quite attractive, quite attractive to take risk in order to get such a big difference. Because even if it underperforms for a couple of years and you only get three or four percent, you know that's still more than double what you would have got from saving interest on your mortgage. So the wider that gap, really, the easier the decision becomes. So over the you know over recent years with interest rates so so low, investing has been very attractive against paying off debt because you're accruing such little interest. You can get a fairly high margin over what you're paying um, what you're paying on your mortgage. Now, if interest rates start to creep up, that relationship will potentially start to change a little bit. Now, I'm not expecting interest rates to, you know, all of a sudden go to five or six percent, but historically there have been times where interest rates have been that high or, or even higher. So if we do get to a point like I say, it's not going to be tomorrow. But if we do get to a point where interest rates are at, say, 6%, you're maybe paying 6.5% on your mortgage, that makes investing a much more borderline proposition. You know, Because in order to beat 6.5%, you're going to probably have to take a fairly decent chunk of risk. You're going to have to put up with a decent amount of volatility. And you know, even in a, in a good... Uh, over a good period, you know, getting eight, nine, ten percent is fairly tough over over longer periods of time. It can be done, so you know, it's definitely it's definitely uh, fairly common. But in order to achieve that, you do have to put up with a lot of volatility. So there'll be years where you probably could go down double digits if you're investing in a way that can get you returns like that. So it's just. Um, a, a, an important distinction to keep in mind that whenever you're comparing, it's always about comparing where to put your surplus income or your surplus cash. It's always about the opportunity cost. And this is an issue that is it is it is changing all the time. And one of the other things to keep in mind with this is that whenever you're paying off money from your mortgage, it's, it's pound for pound as it is. If you pay 100 quid off and it's 2% interest, it's the full 2% you're saving. With investments, it's important to make sure that you're considering the net return, not the gross return. So gross return is basically the 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 wholesale amount that that, that per investment has gone up in value. And then the net return is what you actually get in your pocket. So there's basically two things that come off it. There's tax and there's fees. So fees is the the sort of the really big one. So you need to make sure that if you're looking at investment and you're looking at the past performance and trying to sort of gauge what a reasonable long-term return is, make sure you're looking at whatever the, those returns are and make sure you're looking at them net of all fees and charges. And obviously the past returns don't tell you what future returns are going to be, um, but it's what everybody looks at. <laughs> um but make sure you're taking into account fees because, again, if you're looking at an investment, if interest rates go to 4% and you're looking at an investment that you think could get you 5 5.5%, you might be thinking, yeah, okay, well, investing's probably still worth it. But then if there's a 1% management charge on there, all of a sudden that takes a big a big chunk of that margin um, out of the equation. Now, um, 
the fees are pretty straightforward. Tax, the other one, again, you know, in most cases, you should be able to invest in a way that is quite tax efficient. ISA is obviously tax free. You can put up to £20,000 a year into an ISA. If you're in a couple, you can do that each. So you could put up to forty grand in ISAs. You can also make pension contributions that are also tax free. You even get tax relief on those. Um, but they come with extra conditions. Obviously, you can't access the money you put into a pension until you reach retirement age. So depending on your age, that might not be a great option. And depending on what you're actually investing the money for, it might not be a great option. But it is something to consider. But broadly speaking, it's really important to make sure you have an understanding of of those things. And I think as interest rates start to go up, this is a is a really good time to be looking at this question yourself and um, just revisiting potentially, you know, what what is the best option for you with your money. Now, the one option that is really not a good option for your money is leaving it sitting in a bank account. You know, at the moment, the average um, average interest on on a bank account is very very low. Um, you know, you're lucky if you're getting half a percent on on an account. There are, you know, there are some accounts out there that have introductory rates for six months or, you know, lock-in periods that will pay you higher higher rates than that. But you know, we're not talking massive difference. You know, one percent is like an out of this world rate at the moment. And um, as I said on a, on the episode a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, inflation in the UK is running anywhere from you know three point two percent is CPI at the moment. But then you know, some of the cost of living surveys that are coming out are putting that closer to 5%. So anywhere between 3 and 5%. And if you're getting, you know, 1%, 1.5% in the bank account, that is well below the rate of inflation. So, you know, if, you've, if you're building up excess cash in a bank account and you have a mortgage and you have investments or you, you would consider investments, you know, of all the options, that is the one you should really, really think hard about because it's not, making your money work for you. And it's basically guaranteeing that your pot of money will decrease in value each year. Now, you know, that's not to say you shouldn't have some some money in cash. You should. Um, you know, it's important to have an emergency fund. It's important to have a lump sum of cash available if something happens and you need money quickly. Um, but you shouldn't have excess cash in there. You know, it's really important to consider what you're doing with that money and making sure it's aligned with your long-term objectives and trying to grow your wealth as much as possible. Now, the next thing I wanted to have a talk about is NFTs or non-fungible tokens. And this I'm finding this really interesting because at the moment, it's still kind of on the fringes. Um, I mean, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is still very much on the fringes and NFTs are kind of on the fringes of that fringe. So it's it's quite, it's very new. It's very, um, very uh, niche. It's starting to gain some more publicity because there is a lot of money floating around with it. But I think, you know, it's being on top of these kinds of um, being... Being on the edge of what's happening out there, I think, gives us all, um, you know, some insight as to what the future will hold. And I think that's really important. You know, when we're looking at our financial situation, it's very easy to look at the way things stand currently, the way the system is run currently and, and what's around now and think that that's the way it will always be. But there are always these new technologies that are coming in and really changing how the financial system works and changing the opportunities we have to be better off financially. I mean, if you think if you think back, you know, 25 years, um, you know, mid-90s, the internet basically didn't exist. And if you look at the world today, you know, how many opportunities have there been to, to make money from from understanding what the internet could provide and the way it would change our, our lives. So I think I think NFTs have the potential to do a similar thing in the blockchain and, and cryptocurrency. Um, I, I, I think I like to think I have quite a down-to-earth view on it. I'm not really I'm not talking about 
investing in in crazy things that you know could go to a million dollars or a million pounds or whatever i'm more talking about the technology behind it and how that could flow through to to our actual everyday world so let's start by talking about um i'll try not to go kind of too in too in depth here because um it can it's it's a massive topic and it's something that i'm i'm learning a lot about myself all the time anyway but you know effectively to start with um, very, very quickly, the blockchain is what all of the cryptocurrencies um, are, are uh, logged on. So the blockchain is kind of like the ledger network for all these cryptocurrencies. So um, it's like a very, very massive long transaction history of every transaction that has ever been made um, for a particular cryptocurrency or, or token. So for example, Bitcoin, if you sell, if I, if I send a Bitcoin to you, then um, the the network basically everybody looks at that transaction, ticks the approval, make sure that I actually own the Bitcoin that I'm actually sending to you. And once that's been verified, there's a little note that goes in the ledger that says Jason transferred one Bitcoin on this date to this person's account, and then this person now owns that that Bitcoin. And it's effectively there's a lot of technology that goes on behind it, but that's effectively. Um, what it, what it is. And the reason why this is such a big deal is because it's what's called decentralized. So rather than if I was going to send you um, a thousand pounds, I would actually tell my bank to send you a thousand pounds. My bank would then tell your bank, they would send the money to them. And then if you wanted to withdraw the thousand pounds that I'd sent you, you would ask your bank to withdraw that money to yourself. The difference with blockchain is it is decentralized. It works off what's sort of called consensus. So all of the the um, basically what they're called nodes, but all of the the whole network looks at that transaction and either approves it or denies it. So it's as long as the majority of those um, those network participants approve it, it goes through. So there's not like one or two particular middlemen or intermediaries that approve or deny that transaction. So it's that's why it's called decentralized because there's no central body or central company that has control over those transactions, and the idea is that that's safer because it can't be corrupted and there there can't be um, uh, any I don't know like imagine in a country that's going through a lot of political turmoil you know the government can't take over the institutions or any whatever that's a bit anarchistic I don't get into that side of things as much but it's the idea is it's secure. And it's safe because there's not one single point of failure or, or one single intermediary. Now, one of the features of any currency is that it has to be what's called fungible. And fungible just means that one of something is easily transferable like for like with another or something. So, for example, if I lend you a pound coin and you you spend it or chuck it in the river or whatever, you don't have to give me back my original pound coin when you pay me back. You can get another pound coin and to me, it has exactly the same value. So that's a really important part of the cur- a currency so that we don't end up arguing um, about you know whether this lump of coal was slightly less misshapen than the other lump of coal or whether this sheep um, had slightly better... F- um, wool than uh, the, the sheep that I gave you, whatever. So fungibility is really important for, for a currency. Now, a non-fungible token is basically a contract of ownership of an asset that is not the same as anything else out there. So it's not fungible. So what we've seen in the example of this lately is these little JPEGs, right? These, you, you may have seen these little pictures that have been selling for like insane amounts of money. So 
a as an example, CryptoPunks is, is one of the big ones. They are literally little tiny 64 by 64 pixel pictures of people's faces, like random little icons, and they are selling for millions of pounds. And they are literally a digital, so they're a digital asset. Someone's made them on their computer and they are selling these as NFTs, as non-fungible tokens. Now, the reason why this has become a thing is because now with the blockchain, it can be verified that I or you or anyone owns the original creation, owns the original artwork. So, you know, if we compare that to um, the Mona Lisa, so the Mona Lisa is um, obviously is painted by Leonardo da Vinci. You know, you could try and copy it, but skilled people would be able to to tell the difference and say, no, this is this is not the original created by Leonardo da Vinci. Now, you could have a copy that looks identical to 99.9999% of people. There could be a copy made that for all intents and purposes, you could hang in your house and it would look exactly the same as the version that's sitting in the Louvre. I mean, you could even take a very high definition photo of the Mona Lisa and create a, a, a poster. People do that sort of stuff, but it's not worth anything because it's not the original. It's not painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And with these JPEGs, this is a, it's an, a very similar situation. I could go onto CryptoPunks, go into OpenSea or something right now, right click, save as, and then I've got that JPEG on my computer. But it's not the original. And the way that these are, this originality is proven is by um, by using the blockchain. So in my example before, I said that I sent you one Bitcoin and that was noted on the ledger. A non-fungible token is exactly done exactly the same way. The difference is, is that little piece of code that goes on the ledger is unique. So it doesn't represent one of 21 million Bitcoin. It represents that little JPEG. So that is like the certificate of authenticity of that particular asset. You know, it's kind of similar, you know, if you have ever seen um, like sports memorabilia, sports cards, um, boxing gloves that are signed by Muhammad Ali or Anthony Joshua or whatever, you know, it would be very easy for for me to go and buy a pair of Everlast boxing gloves that look the same or are the, are the exact same model that Anthony Joshua used, make a little scribble on there that looks like his signature. You know, how would majority of people was not going to know um, and even people who are into it, after enough practice, I could probably get down Anthony Joshua's signature pretty well. The reason why, um, the reason why we can know that it's authentic is because somewhere along the line, the person uh, Anthony Joshua gave those those gloves to somebody. They have proof that they've received them directly from Anthony Joshua, and then they, uh, you know, the companies that create or make this sell this memorabilia, create a certificate of authenticity to say, we have we have assessed this, we have seen the video of AJ signing them, or you know, we have a, a picture showing them being handed over to the individual that sold it to us, and we are providing our certificate to say that this is an authentic piece of memorabilia. An NFT is a certificate of authenticity that sits on the blockchain. So if I go online now, go on my computer now, make a stupid little JPEG of, of a duck, and I want to sell that to somebody, I can put it up for sale with the NFT attached to it. And then if somebody buys that, I send them the picture of the JPEG and I send them the NFT 
that says that this person has purchased the original JPEG from me. Now, this sounds really stupid, and to be honest, at the moment, it is. Um, I mean, the most expensive NFT was sold by a guy called Beeple, which is like a digital artwork he's been doing. For, he has been doing it for years, to be fair, but it sold for $69 million US dollars. So there's already a lot of money floating around in this space. I mean, art tends to be a bit stupid like that, but um, that, that is, at the moment... The use case for NFTs, certificate of NF, certificate of authenticity for di- for mainly digital assets. But I see there being a uh, sorry. Just before I go on to that, there's also um, you know the NBA, the, the the American basketball have also released NFTs for the the game's highlights. So they take like big plays and create a digital signature for that video clip. And then they're selling those video clips as NFTs. Um, Jack Dorsey, who's the creator of Twitter, sold his first tweet as an NFT. That sold for like over $2.9 million. So, um, you know, this is becoming more of a thing. And at the moment, it doesn't have much utility. Like, who really cares if I own an original highlight? Well, at the moment, it's speculatory. Specula- speculatory? Is that a word? Speculation, anyway. Um, that, you know, I will buy... Uh, something that will go up in value, but where I see this potentially having some real um, some real impact on the world is when we start looking at NFTs for real assets, and this is already happening as well. And Ernst and Young, EY, a big massive accounting firm, are using NFTs in their consultancy work with some, with particular companies. So, for example, they've used it with a fine wine investment company. So there's a company um, that that invests in fine wine. And one of the ways that they're creating these certificates of authenticity is by using NFT. So for each individual wine bottle, they are creating an NFT for that wine bottle. They're putting like a QR code on on the bottle or attached to the bottle. And when that is scanned, that basically is showing on the blockchain who owns that bottle, um, you know, who has owned it in the past, what the past sales have been, and basically providing a a, a record that can't be corruptible, it can't be changed. You can't go back and change what's been made on what's been logged on the blockchain, and it's creating a, a a proof of the ownership of that particular asset. And this has the potential to be to be huge. Um, there's a lot of music artists that are getting on board with this. They're releasing songs, they're releasing albums as, as NFTs. Um, imagine if you could sell your house as an NFT. You know, at the moment. We pay real estate agents. There's all this bullshit back and forth that goes goes on um, in in selling a house. It's real, a really uh, in depth pain of a process. But imagine if you could attach an NFT for your house, sell your house, log it all on the blockchain, no middleman, no real estate agents fees, and the transaction would go through. It'd been logged logged on there. You would get paid immediately. There's no kind of intermediary intermediary, and that could be a way for a lot of of transactions in our world to go by a lot, a lot quicker. Uh, And I think this is going to be something that we're going to see more and more of. Now, one final point on this, and I think is where we're eventually going to get to, is the... um, the combination of NFTs, so you've got the you've got the little bit of code that is your proof of ownership of an asset that is sitting on a blockchain that can't be changed, that is decentralized. Where I think this could get to eventually is is what's known as smart contracts, and smart contracts are effectively built into that code, built into that NFT is is some rules, is a contract, and 
one example would be, you know, let's say, um, uh, let's say for uh, the artist who's releasing a song, they could build in that any time the NFT for that that particular song was sold, they actually got an additional royalty. So, you know, imagine if an, an artist released back in the nineties released a special edition album where they only made a thousand. Like, let's say. Um, who's big in the 90s? I don't know, Kurt Cobain, right? Let, so let's say um, uh, Nirvana and Kurt Cobain released like a special edition album where they gave like personal commentary on it or, or something like that at the end of, of each song and they only made 100 of those. That would be worth a lot of money. That would be worth a lot of money. And these days you could, they could, you know, bands could still do something like that. But what we're looking at here is potentially a digital version of that. So they could release it all digitally so there'd be no need to send out a bunch of stuff. It would all be available on your computer the way we all consume media these days anyway. And what could actually happen there, that could be sold as an NFT. So you would have access to that yourself specifically because you've got the proof of ownership. And then what could be built into that is a smart contract. So if you decided you wanted to sell that because it's gone up in value a lot, you could sell the NFT to somebody else they would then gain ownership of that digital asset. But built into that could be a smart contract, which would kick back 5% back to Nirvana. So from an artist perspective, this would be this could be a very powerful way for them to gain control over the future rights of their music and to be able to, or, or videos or whatever it is they make. And this could be, this could be really quite life-changing. You can imagine even doing that on a, on a smaller basis. So using the example of the house, you know, if you put in a lot of work, if you massively improve the value of a house or you built the house, something maybe you feel like you should get um, some ongoing um, revenue from that, you could sell the house, you could build in a smart contract that says in the future, anytime this house gets sold, I get 2%. And the, the, the cool thing about this is because it's all digital, it would all happen automatically. So built into that, into that code, built into that signature would be your wallet address would be and every time that transaction happened on the blockchain, it would automatically part be part of that transaction. That 2% goes off to your wallet address every single time. And I think this has the potential to disrupt loads and loads of industries. I think um, the space is very is rapidly evolving. It's still very niche. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but it's something that I'm quite interested in. Um, and I just sort of wanted to, to share what I'm thinking on it really. And sorry, I just, just remember one last thing that I think it opens up at the moment. One of the things I talk about with especially real estate investment, real estate's a really good example. One of the, the things I talk about is that it's a one of the downsides of investing in real estate, especially if you're needing access to your money, is the illiquidity of it. So if you own a flat or a house that's worth £200,000, you can't sell 10% of it um, to gain access to some of that money. So if you're relying on, if you're someone who's built up a number of different buy to let properties and that is your retirement, your retirement pot, um, you basically just have to live off the income. So you could be a multi-multi-millionaire on paper, but you know, depending on how much rental income you get, you, you're kind of limited to, to the income you're taking out unless you go through the whole process of selling a property, which could take months, uh, a lot of fees involved, a lot of hassle involved. You know, that is one of the downsides of investing in property. NFTs potentially, and again, this is all speculation on, you know, on my part, but potentially you could create a fractionalized NFT for your property. So you could potentially sell an NFT that gives the person the right to 10% of your property. So you wouldn't have to, 
you know, it would it would be the ownership would be that NFT. It wouldn't be the actual um, you know same way that we do property transactions these days. So it could be a way, kind of like we see equity release now, but that's kind of a debt instrument. But this could be another way to allow a lot more flexibility with assets that have traditionally been very inflexible. So. I'm sure there are people much, much, much cleverer than me that are looking at loads of different applications with this sort of thing. But I think it's just something worth keeping an eye on, um, keeping an interest in because, uh, you know, I think you know, if you think back to how much the world has gone digital since the late 90s, early 2000s, over the last 20 years, you know, I think we're going to continue to see the same level or not, if not more level of, of development in the way finances work, the way money works, um, the areas where we can potentially make ourselves better off. So I think it's always worth keeping keeping the, the new stuff in mind and trying to at least have a, a basic understanding of how it all works. So that's the show for today, guys. I hope that's been interesting for you. If you, as always, if you have a question yourself, please do drop me a line at jason at jasonmountford.com. And one other thing, if you could uh, also um, rate the, the um, give me a five-star re- review on iTunes, that would be really greatly appreciated. It always helps with getting the podcast out there and, and getting some more, um, you know, getting, getting higher up on the rankings. If you have people that you know in your life that you think could benefit from talking about money, talking about investments, talking about what's going on in the world of um, of cryptocurrency and all this kind of new stuff that we're seeing, modern finance, then I'd really appreciate it if you could flick the show over to them, get them to have a listen and, um, and put it out there. All that is really helpful to me and I, I really would appreciate it. So thanks very much again for listening, guys, and I look forward to chatting to you next week.